We're in a little two-week series on this idea of following and fishing. Well, last week, our text and our message revolved around the idea of fishing. And the point that we came across was that all followers of Jesus will eventually fish. So quick question for you as we get started. How did fishing go this week? If it was like me, I probably did more shoveling than I did fishing. But I hope at least that our eyes were on the fields that were white unto harvest, no pun intended. Our job is to, uh, again, remember the call that Jesus has placed upon our our lives, which is to love people and to point them towards him. And so I hope, I do, I hope that as you're out shoveling and snow blowing, that you noticed your neighbors. Maybe you haven't seen them for a while because of the winter months and it created opportunities. I hope this week you were just again reminded uh, of the role that's on our life. And so you went to work and the person in the cubicle next to you uh, or on the phone call or whatever interactions you had. I hope that it was a good reminder to you of our call to fish. Well, today our message is going to be the exact same text with a little bit different focus, and that is on the idea of following. And so I want to give you our take-home truth just at the front end. Uh, It won't be a great shock to you, but I think it will be good to just set our minds on where we are headed this morning. So our take-home truth today is that there are no fish who do not eventually follow. There are no fish that do not eventually follow. And we'll see that in our text today, the call to fish and the call to follow. So I'm just gonna, our time this morning is gonna revolve basically around two main questions. And those two main questions that our text will ask us to consider are this. Number one, are you a fish? That's what we looked at last week, the call to be fishers of people, to go fish for people. And so it will beg the question today, is that you? Are you a fish or a believer in Jesus Christ? Have you been caught by the grace of God? Has his grace and mercy towards sinners like us been uh, something that you've accepted and believed and been caught by the grace of God? And the second question we'll wrestle with this morning is, are you faithfully following The call that was sent to the disciples to follow him is the call on our lives as well. And are we faithfully following? Before we start, I want to remember and again preface our message with this, that salvation comes through faith in Christ. Salvation is not earned through obedience or following. But let's not neglect the reality that salvation involves following. It always does. This is what believers in Christ do. They follow their leader. Following is what Christ calls those who have faith in him towards. This is the call on all of our lives. Let's look at our text again today in light of that theme of following. So kind of put the glasses that you're going to wear as we look at our text with the idea of following. Let me read for you Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. 
Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I don't think at this point in time, Matthew chapter four, that these disciples had saving faith in Christ just from their life's journey. We don't see that. So the order may be a little confusing in this text that seems like following precedes belief. But what, uh, but what I believe that Jesus is doing for us in this text is preparing them and us for the lifetime of following that will be our calling. So I want us to kind of see that main theme. When did faith come to these disciples? We could discuss that, but the call on their lives would be to follow him for their entirety of their life. And I also believe that this text is meant for us. We don't just see this call on these disciples' lives. We see this call on our lives. And this text prepares us for what Christ will call us towards as well. Not only did Christ call these disciples to follow follow him, but he calls these disciples, this disciple, to follow him. One commentary I read as I prepared for today's uh, message reminded me that this theme or an analogy, if you will, of fishing and being caught is not the most common analogy that Jesus uses. The most common analogy Jesus uses for his, for his followers is that of sheep who follow a shepherd. So this morning, we will for sure look at Matthew chapter 4, but I want you to flip over to one other passage as we just kind of center on this theme of following. So for a moment, will you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10? I want to lay out for you this analogy that Jesus actually used quite regularly, quite often. John chapter 10. You'll, say this, you'll see the same theme, the same call, and the same response. John chapter 10, verses one through five. We're gonna reference this text throughout our sermon today as well, but we'll have our eyes in Matthew chapter four. John 10, verse one says this, truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers." See the same kind of theme following our good shepherd. You kind of see those same themes here, what he's called us to. In this analogy, obviously, Christ is the good shepherd. And who are we in the text? We are his faithful following sheep. But the call is the same as in Matthew chapter four, follow me. A few observations I want to make from this text, just to kind of again set the scene for us, is what this text teaches us about following. The first thing uh, 
John chapter 10 teaches us is that believers of Christ follow, they aren't shoved. Do you notice that? It's implicitly stated there. It teaches us about Jesus and what he's like. And it teaches us that Jesus is a good shepherd. He's not a good sheepdog. He leads them and they follow. And then it teaches us in the text that these sheep have ears and they hear and they obey. And they know the voice of their shepherd and they willingly follow And in their following, they find joy and satisfaction in life. This isn't burdensome. This isn't bad news. It's great news that they have a good shepherd who they willingly follow and find satisfaction in there. Look at John 10, 10. This is a verse that you know. You're probably very familiar with it, and it helps us see the context of this verse. John 10, 10. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Do you see now the the context of this verse? Life and abundant life comes from following the good shepherd. This is a great calling on your life to follow Jesus. It's a blessing. It's good news. This morning, I ask you to consider whether your life reflects the analogy of following a good shepherd. Does this fit your life, your current scenario? Does it fit into John chapter 10? But what I want to do today, our outline, if you will, if you're taking notes for small groups, we have four points that we're going to learn from Matthew chapter 4. And what we're going to see is what following demands. So we're going to show you from those texts, those few verses, how Jesus lays out for us what following looks like. And I want you to keep the analogy in your head of sheep following a good shepherd and the joy and abundant life that comes from that. So four things following demands. The first one we see in our text is that following demands leaving. Following demands leaving. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 of Matthew chapter 4 says this, Immediately they left their nets. And then look again in verse 22. Immediately they left the boat and their father. There's no way that the word left here is used insignificantly. Good fishermen only leave their nets and boats if there is a really good reason. The boat, the net, This is their income. This is their livelihood. This is what they're dependent on to make it, to pay their bills. Something must be, something really great must come along in order for them to set those things aside and for them to leave those prized possessions. I was talking to my sister yesterday and she reminded me of a story I'd forgotten about. My mom and sister recently moved to New Hampshire, um, which is a million miles away. And they're way up north near Canada in the mountains there. And I got this summer the privilege to go help them move up there and just spend some time with them. And my sister and I have this common bond of fishing. We both really enjoy it. We are terrible at it. We don't know anything, but for some reason, we just really enjoy it. So whenever we're together, we look for water and we fish together. And so we did that. We found a a lake up there, beautiful lake. And so we hit Walmart. We bought some fishing poles. We found a lady selling live bait. 
We got some bobbers and we did some uh, bobber fishing in this huge lake in New Hampshire. We knew nothing about it. Here's the problem when you go somewhere new, you don't know enough about the land. So you just kind of assume the worst, right? So we're in New Hampshire, we're seeing signs for moose, signs for a bear. And, and you hear these stories about like wolves and coyotes and I'm not from there. I don't know what I'm doing. My sister's not from there. She doesn't know what she's doing. So we decided to go fishing. And so we're bobber fishing and just having a great time. And I'm, I'm all in, I'm dedicated to it. I'm here for the, for the fish. And so we're fishing in this kind of wooded area near this big lake. And all there is, is like a picnic table. That's it. You park your car, picnic table, woods. You got the scenario? And we're fishing. And all of a sudden we hear some rustling in the woods. So off to our right, and my sister's getting a little paranoid. She would probably say like just appropriately cautious. I would say paranoid. And so we're just kind of fishing and she hears this like rustling and she's like, Travis, there's something over there. There's some animals over there. And I'm like, so what? You see our bobber? It's doing something like we're getting a hit. And so I'm, I'm so excited about this. I'm like, finally. And all of a sudden, the bobber just hits the floor, just goes completely under, which is really good news when you fish. And so I'm just so excited, but my sister just can't, all she's worried about is the rustling out there. And then all of a sudden, you know, out of the woods comes these four-legged creatures. And us not knowing anything, we assume the worst. We're gonna die right? And so my sister's calling out to these animals like, wait, wolves, like get away, wolves. Like you got to get out of here. Anybody over there? Like she's panicking. And I'm just like reeling, like whatever is on this hook, I'm eating it. Like I'm so excited. I couldn't care less about the, the, the animals coming out of the woods. And so Christy just drops her pole, runs away, looking for cover. And all of a sudden, out of the woods comes dogs. And these dogs wanted to play in the water and their owner was back there somewhere as well. And but what it reminded me is of what it caused my sister to drop her nets. Something greater, bigger, scarier, more important came along. And the last thing that she cared about was her nets or her poles. This is kind of the analogy that we see in our text is that fishing nets, poles, boats, dad are all very important until something greater comes along. And when something greater comes along, we're willing to leave because we found what is much greater. See friends, following Christ is, is um, different than, uh, than following anything else in life. Let's remember that when you met Christ, he called you to follow him. He didn't just reveal to you the mystery of the kingdom. He called you to enter his kingdom. He didn't call you to attend church. He asked you to worship him with his life. Following Jesus is different than following a celebrity on Instagram. It's more like joining a family. He calls you to something that's so much greater than fishing. And the response to that great calling is to leave what you are currently doing. The natural response to meeting Jesus, who's greater than anything, will be the natural response to leave. Following Christ is life-changing. Often the phrase we read in the Bible is repent and believe. That word repent 
literally means to change your mind or to believe differently, specifically about who Jesus is. John 10 teaches us that Jesus isn't a stranger. He's your good shepherd. And the moment you heard his voice, you left what you were doing to follow him. Your life drastically changed. And Pastor Todd told us last week that the call to everyone is not to quit your career. So that's not the call in the text, but following for sure does involve a life change of some sort. You may have left a social group you were hanging around. You may have left old habits, certain hobbies, ways that you found fun and satisfaction. There for sure is a leaving that happens when you meet Christ. One of my privileges is to, to lead our membership class. And in our membership class, you share your testimony with us. It's one of the greatest things I get to do because I get to hear story after story of life change. Things that you left because Jesus was greater. I heard and met Jesus when I was six years old and I left Legos because he was greater. I didn't have a drastic life-changing moment, but for sure it set a new trajectory for me. It pointed me in a way that was greater and better. And I'm so grateful that I met Jesus at a really young age. A fair question to ask church is, how did your life change when you met Christ? And if your life didn't change at all, have you obediently followed? Did you meet Jesus who's greater than what you were doing and were you willing to leave that to follow him? Or did you just add Jesus like a new follower on Instagram? What Christ calls us to do is to leave and to follow him because he is greater. The second thing we learn in our text is that following demands depending. Following demands depending. Consider what must have been true when these disciples left. The word immediately is staggering to me. I hope it is to you as well. Were these disciples ready to leave? Were their bags packed? Were their matters in order? No. They were willing to be dependent. Them leaving instantly like they did demanded dependency. They had to trust that their new leader would take care of them, that he would meet their needs, that they, that they would be fine and have a great purpose in life. One, uh, when I was in college, I told my dad that I wanted to be a youth pastor. And so he's like, okay. Like, I'm going to prepare you for that. And so he worked, did really hard at just pro providing for us circumstances and opportunities to learn and grow. So he would ship me off places in the summer, maybe just to get rid of me. I'm not sure. But anyway, so one summer he lined up an internship for me and he literally just gave me a name and an address. And I was from the Scranton, Pennsylvania area. And he gave me an address in Rochester, New York. And the guy's name was Jay. And he goes, here you go, go learn. And so for three months, I didn't know Jay. I didn't 
have any context if he was a solid guy. I just knew I was supposed to trust Jay with my life for three months. I worked for Jay. I lived with Jay. Jay fed me. I spent time with his family. My life was completely in Jay's hands. I was completely dependent on Jay. I followed him and allowed him to lead me and show me. I'm not telling you that was the greatest decision of my life, but what I am telling you that it was a good, it set a good pattern for me. It showed me a good picture for what my life following Jesus ought to look like. For if I'm willing to trust Jay, who I know nothing about, and I'm willing to be utterly dependent on Jay, how much more should I be utterly dependent on Jesus Christ, Son of God, the maker of heaven and earth? Friends, are you dependent on Jesus? Do you trust him fully? Do you obey him wherever he leads you because you know he is worthy? It's a fair question for us to wrestle with. One way to tell that you aren't dependent is that when Christ prompts you to do something, you feel his leading, his calling, you feel a challenge, a, an area of obedience, you feel that, do you immediately obey or do you weigh the pros and cons before you obey? Do you ever get that prompting, that sense? Maybe it's to go fishing, to share the gospel with somebody. Maybe it's to give, to be generous. Maybe it's to, to go somewhere and you feel that prompting. How do you respond? That is one good way to find out if you're dependent. And if your answer is always, I hear that suggestion. Let me pro and con it out. I would suggest to you that you're not dependent. You're just making a decision. I've heard it said before that delayed obedience is really disobedience. Delayed obedience is really disobedience. Why? Because you're just making a decision at that point, and it makes sense to you. You trust that decision. I want to say a quick word to any of my friends in this room or who are listening online who are currently deeply dependent and wish they weren't. For sure, there's probably some in this room right now, friends of ours that are listening who have sicknesses and health issues that are causing them to be utterly dependent upon God every single day. Maybe it's a financial hardship you're going through right now where the income's not matching the bills and you're utterly dependent. Maybe there's a relational tension, a breaking, a falling apart marriage that's just causing you to cry out to God every single day for help and for rescue. Maybe it's pain and suffering, a diagnosis of some sort, and you feel utterly dependent. You couldn't be more dependent. I want to encourage you with this word today. Aren't you grateful he is dependable? Every day when you cry out to him, you are crying out to the right person, the one who can meet your needs. Friends, you are learning a beautiful truth about God's goodness that we all should learn. And that is that even in life's most difficult 
moments, Christ is dependable. He is followable. He is a good shepherd who is utterly trustworthy. Friends, I'm sorry and heartbroken about your circumstances that are so, so difficult. But you are learning such a valuable lesson that we are merely sheep and Christ is a great shepherd. I hope that that's encouraging to you that in your crying, you have a God who's responding and who loves you deeply and is dependable. Not only is following demand dependence, but it demands copying. One of the things we see in this text is the idea of copying. Look at Matthew chapter 4 verse 19. This simple phrase, we talked about it last week a little bit too. In Matthew chapter 4 19, it says this, I will make you. And we know how that verse ends, but I want you just to focus on those few words just for a moment. I will make you. That phrase reminds us of God's transformational work in his followers' lives. You see, we don't only follow Christ, we become like him. He is in the business of taking mere fishermen and making them world changers. This is what he's in the process of doing, making us, transforming us. Christ was telling them, I'm going to make you similar to me. He wasn't calling them to do something different than he's doing. He was calling them to do what he does best which is fish. And there's two interesting ways in our text that we see that these guys will copy Jesus. Two ways that they copy. The first one is in their location, or we copy Jesus in our location. Notice that the disciples leave the Sea of Galilee, and where do they go? They go to the city of Galilee. Again, I think you could skip right over there and not observe that, but I think it's really interesting. As you walk through Matthew chapter four, they leave the ocean, the sea, the water, and they go to the city. They leave isolation, quiet, peace, and they go to the crowds. I think that's completely intentional because what do we know about Christ? He loves the crowds. He loves people. His heart breaks for the lost. That's who Jesus is. They leave fish and begin to work with people. Friends, following Christ will mean loving what Jesus loves. And what does he love? He loves people. Christ cared about the crowds and he wanted the fishermen to do the same. I'm assuming for a moment fishermen don't like crowds. They like peace and quiet and open water. And he calls them and says, I'm going to make you love people. I'm going to make you see the city, see where people gather. And I think he does the same to us. Loving and following Jesus means you will eventually love what he loves. And one thing that Jesus loves deeply is people. Luke 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Following Christ means joining the family business of seeking and saving the lost. The second thing we copy, we not only copy Jesus in location, but we copy Jesus in lifestyle. 
I admit I don't know much about first century fishermen and what that life would be like, but I doubt it is a stretch to assume it had, there was a vulgar lifestyle that would have been acceptable on the boats. Are you willing to give that to me? Like it was just probably okay to be a little bit vulgar and crass on those boats. And then I'm sure that spending 24 hours a day with the Messiah after spending 24 hours a day on a boat, that would have been a radically different moral environment. Does that make sense? So they go from fishing, being on a boat, doing what guys do, you know, and then to spending time with the Messiah, 24 hours. That difference would have been very um, awakening and, and noticeable. Following Christ inevitably, inevitably means living like Christ, allowing our lifestyle to resemble his lifestyle. And his lifestyle was for sure one of holiness. So he calls them to that. Follow me. He doesn't just send them to the city. He sends them to the city with him. Come live with me. Watch. See how I live. One of the things we were reminded of and learned again during our Advent season was the doctrine of the incarnation, that Christ became like us. Hebrews 4.15 says this, that Christ was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Imagine following Jesus for three years and never hearing or seeing him sin. Wouldn't it be staggering and highly impactful to live with Jesus and never see sin? I can't even fathom that. Every thought was in line with God's thoughts. Every action was in line with God's actions. Every word he spoke, every desire of his heart was purely holy and righteous. That would have been highly impactful on these guys. And this is what he calls them to. I think one thing the incarnation teaches us is that Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. And that's exactly what he's doing in his disciples' life. He became our savior, but he is also our perfect example. Christ's call to the disciples to follow him also implied copying him. Become like me. Do what I do. Act like I, I act. Live like I live. Friends, do you live like Jesus? Are you passionate about the same things Jesus was passionate about? Namely, people and holiness. Those are two things that should jump off the page at you. What was Jesus passionate about? People and holiness. Those are things that should categorize us. Those are things that we should be similar to. It would be make sense for the people that know you best to be able to describe you as enjoys people, spends time with them, and is a person of character. And if those aren't categories of us, characteristics of us, maybe we're not following him like we think we are. The last thing we learn in our text is that following demands representing. Following demands representing. Representing is this idea of doing what we've been called to do. And what did Jesus call these guys to do? fish for people. He tells them, you're going to represent me. You're going to do what I tell you to do. You're going to obey. 
And this was our entire sermon last week. And so if you weren't here with us last Sunday, I really encourage you to go back and listen to our message on fishing from last Sunday. But let me just summarize it for you. What did Christ tell the disciples that they would do? What did he call them to do or represent? To fish, to fish for people. That was the new job description. And if they were going to be faithful to their calling, they would eventually fish for people. The calling was not just to follow, but to represent, to eventually fish for people. I want to give you one other text that I think is powerful, important to this idea of fishing. And that is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is a beautiful text about the gospel of Christ's substitutionary work on our behalf. But there's a beautiful verse at the end of that chapter and where Christ calls us his ambassadors. Can you reflect on that word and that term just for a second? 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What is an ambassador? Consider that idea for just a moment. An ambassador is someone who represents the nation they are from. Have you ever had to go to an embassy before? Maybe you're on a missions trip and a teenager loses their passport. I don't know, that's just an example. And so for a moment, you have to leave the country of Germany and take a student to the American embassy. It's a really interesting and bizarre experience because you leave, literally, leave Germany for a moment and enter America. And in that embassy, embassy, you meet an ambassador. And his job is to represent America. And he helps you and he solves your problems and he takes care of you because of your American uh, citizenship and uh, because of your, uh, your birthplace there. And it's a really fascinating place. And that man, that amb- or woman, that ambassador's job is to represent America, to obey the laws and rules of America and to help you do that as well. They don't get to go rogue and do their own thing. Even though they're in a different country, they represent America. This is what God has called us to do, to obey the rules that he's created, to live for him, to honor him, to represent him. Ambassadors represent the nation they're from, and that's what we're supposed to do. That is our calling, to do what Christ would have done if he were still on earth, to be fishing, to seeking and saving the lost. Friends, I hope you know this about our church. I think it's one of the things I love most about our church. First Family Church is so passionate about evangelism and missions. Why? Why did we pick those two things? And why did those kind of rise to the surface? Here's why. Because Jesus was. Yeah, it's First Family Church. We don't get to pick and choose what we want to be about, what's exciting to us. We are about what Jesus was about. And he was really passionate about missions and evangelism, seeking and saving the lost. And so, of course, that is the DNA in the heartbeat of a church. We follow our leader. We're ambassadors of him. Friends, can I ask you, are you representing Jesus? Are you representing him well? Are you an obedient ambassador for Jesus here? Are you fishing for people? Are you called to that and are you faithful 
in that. I want to again bring up our take-home truth today, and I want you just to reflect on it one more time, ask you to consider this and where you land here, and if this true and faithful of you, and then I'm just going to ask you some reflection questions and ask you to ponder these and take a moment to allow the prompting of God in your life. And when God prompts, we obey. That's what it looks like to respond immediately, like our text says. So reflect on this take-home truth one more time. There are no fish who do not eventually follow. And I just want to bring up those two questions that I told you about at the beginning and ask you to reflect on those personally. Number one, are you a fish? I think it's easy for us to just kind of, again, glaze over that, assume we are. But just take a moment and reflect on that. Are you a fish? Have you believed that Christ is the Son of God who became a man and died on the cross in your place to forgive you of your sins? I was with a young man a couple weeks ago, and we were just kind of talking. I was sharing Christianity with him, kind of working through that a little bit. And I just wanted to make sure he was a believer. And so we kind of talked about who, I asked him, who is Jesus? And just asked him to kind of answer that question. So he, he, he did a good job. He said, Jesus is the son of God. And he came to earth and he lived a life, perfect life. And then he, and then he died on the cross. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Good job. Why, why did he die on the cross? He says, for sinners. I'm like, yeah, good. Yeah, that's great. Who, who are sinners? And he's like, you know, the, the world. Look, yep, the world, that's right. Like, give me a little bit more detail. Like, who's the world? He's like, yeah, like any, any particular people come into mind when you think of the world? He's like, yeah, you know, like everyone, like people, Americans, you know, Africans, like the world. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Anybody you know, like any specific people? And he's like, yeah, probably, like, probably you guys and the sound booth. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Like, yeah, he did die for those people. Any, anyone else? I'm just trying to help him process like the personalness of who Jesus is and the good news that Christ died for us. And I literally asked him, anyone closer to you? Like anyone you know? And he didn't get it. He went completely over his head. And so I just had to take the moment and say, like, friend, like, I have to ask you the next most important question, did he die for you? Did Christ die for your sins? And the sad reality is, I think it was the first time he'd ever thought about it. And he was like, oh, I see what you're getting at. Did Christ die for you? Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? Is he your substitute? And you know what he said? He goes, well, I guess so. And friends, I wonder if he is a very common person in our neighborhoods. That if you were asked him maybe a theological question, give him a Christian exam, he'd probably pass the test, do a pretty good job of getting you the answer, but not a fish. I think it's very possible that we have friends and neighbors and family members who don't have a personal savior, but could pass the exam. So I just want to slow down for just a moment and make sure that you wrestle with that. Are you a fish? 
have you been caught by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ? Does he love you? Did Christ on the way to the cross think of you? Did he die for your sins? Did he die for my sins? Are you caught by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ? If you are not, believe, repent, and believe today. Thank Jesus for his death on the cross for you and accept the forgiveness of your sins, not just the world, people, sinners, for this sinner who's desperate for the grace of Jesus. And then the second question I ask you to wrestle with today is, are you faithfully following? And as I was putting this sermon together, I really do hope that you'll take those four demands that we looked at and consider if you're obedient to those. And if you're not, allow the Holy Spirit's work in your life to call you to repentance in one of those areas. I just want to review them for you for one second and allow the Holy Spirit to work and to prompt and ask you to obey. First one there is, have you left? Have you faithfully left because you've seen that Jesus is greater? Has your life changed since meeting Jesus? And if your life is no different today than it was before you met Christ, have you become a follower? Have you seen he's greater, that he is better, that his, he brings life and abundant life? And have you turned to him and left your old ways? If your life is still described by those old hangups and sins and distractions, I'd ask you to repent of those and to obediently leave your old life and follow the pattern that Christ sets. The second one there is, are you daily dependent on him. Again, I think this is something we struggle with. You know what many times we're dependent on? As long as the bank account's okay. As long as we got the things we need, then life's good. And we become so independent or autonomous that we really don't need God. We like God. We're pro-God. But I can't think of the last time I needed God. And repent of that. Rather than pro and conning every situation that comes up, obey and trust that he's dependable and trustworthy. I wonder if there's many in this room that are not dependent like Christ has called us to be. The third one there is, are you copying him in location and lifestyle? Do you love what Jesus loves? Do you love people? Do you spend time with people or do you spend time hiding from people? Are you at the Sea of Galilee because it's peaceful and quiet and God has called you to spend time in the city and you've said, no, I don't like my neighbor. I don't like my coworkers. I'd eat my lunch in my car to get away from my coworkers. I'd ask you to consider in location and then lifestyle. Do you live like Jesus? Would your family call you a person of character? The people that know you the best, do you honor God with how you live? Do you copy Jesus in what you watch, what you say, what you look at, what you joke about? Would your life be described 
in any way like one of holiness and character. And then the last one, are you representing him well? Are you fishing? Do you follow him? Do you do what he tells you to do? Are you faithful to the call to fish for people? Does your life look like that? And if not, repent. Friends, I want you to know, I am nowhere, I am not by far the picture of perfection on this, but I do so deeply and desperately desire to be a follower, faithful follower of Jesus Christ. So I would just ask you to join this boat with me as we follow Jesus and live like he calls us to live because he's better than anything else this life has to offer. Let's be faithful followers of his.